Welcome back to the Jeff Dornick Podcast here exclusively on the GK Podcast Network. Now, last week, a lot of fun, dove through a lot of the issues that I've kind of been wrestling with and dealing with that's led up to this point of having this podcast, starting this podcast network and that sort of thing. But today, I want to start to dig into an issue. Now, today's going to be more of an overview, not as much as really diving into this issue, but I kind of want to start to tackle this issue of social justice. This is the buzzword that's been going on for a couple of years now. It's been many, many years in the works, but we're getting to the point now where we're at that point of no return. We're at that point where if we keep going, we're reaching that cliff. If we don't pull back from that cliff, the church is going to go tumbling over the edge. And I'm really afraid that we're going to get to the point to where it's going to be extremely difficult to bring the biblical church back to biblical Christianity. And it's because what's happening is we're having the blending of truth and error, just like Charles Spurgeon preached about when he was preaching Discernment is not figuring out between what's right and wrong. It's not discerning between what's right and wrong. It's discerning between right and almost right. And we're at that point right now where there's so much, there's so much almost truth coming into the church that we're getting again we're getting to that point to where we're not even able to decipher what's right and what's wrong because it's so close but yet it's off thus compromising the gospel thus compromising biblical truth and so this issue of social justice it's a it's a very very important issue and it's important that we get right now there was an attempt to get this right with the social justice statement and uh, you know, they they got Pastor John MacArthur to endorse this. Uh, a lot of other, um, you know, godly, godly men have supported this and backed this statement. My personal feeling about the social justice statement is that I agreed in principle with what they were trying to do. I agreed with the idea that we needed to have a statement that clearly defines biblical justice versus social justice, defining the biblical gospel versus the social justice gospel. This was very important. Why is this important? Because you have organizations like the Gospel Coalition. Now, if you back up a little bit here, and I'm going to give you a little bit of history. Now, obviously, social justice and Marxism has been going on for many, many years, several decades. Uh, goes back to the Frankfurt School, goes back to the Fabian Society, all that kind of stuff. I'm not an, an entire expert on the history of Marxism and how it all started and that sort of thing. But I highly recommend that you get the book Marxianity by Brandon House. Now, he lays out the history. He lays out the quotes. He lays out exactly where it's come from, where it's going. Um, I highly recommend. Go to, I believe it's marxianity.com. Or you can just go to worldviewweekend.com. Get his book. It's totally worth it. It's very important to understand What's going on? I wish I could fully explain it to you, but he he does it way better than I ever could. So go get the book. Check it out. Now, the other podcast that I highly recommend is the Shining Light podcast here on the GK Podcast Network. Um, Sam Jones and Patrick Wyatt do some of the best work taking complicated issues like Marxism, social justice, uh, dispensationalism, uh, whatever it is, taking these complicated issues 
and then bringing it down to make it simple. Not dumbing it down, but making it simple for anybody to understand. And I keep saying, you don't need a seminary degree to understand theology. You don't need a seminary degree to understand what is in God's word. Obviously, it helps. Obviously, it helps you to be able to decipher what's right and what's wrong. But it's not a requirement. And I think that that's important for us to remember. It's not a requirement in order to study God's word. But the point that I was trying to get at is that you have the Gospel Coalition, which is basically an offshoot of the emergent church. Now, everybody was going hard against the emergent church, at least in the crowd that I was in, which is the John MacArthur crowd, the Reformed crowd, Calvinist crowd, that sort of thing. It was easy to go after Brian McLaren. It was easy to go after Mark Driscoll. It was easy to go after these guys. But after they kind of fizzled out, after they went away, then along comes this this man, this pastor named Tim Keller. He's kind of this celebrity, reformed, cool guy pastor that appeals to not only the conservatives, but to the progressives as well. And what he ended up doing was he took the ideology and the theology out of the emergent church and blended it with reformed theology, with evangelicalism, to give us the gospel coalition. And here's the thing about that. The main guys, the people that we expect to be able to discern right from wrong, be able to to discern right from almost right, they didn't even see it coming. Now, the thing is, is that they all had red flags about Tim Keller, but none of them had a problem with partnering partnering with them with the Gospel Coalition. Come on, this was something that everybody should have seen coming. And so what it is, is that you have this dialectic process. And what they're doing is they are going to the extreme... And then, the, and then basically they're doing it so that way us that are on the good side, the right side, will compromise a little bit and bring us a little bit further to the left. And then they go further to the extreme. And then they bring us a little bit more into the middle. They go further to the extreme. And then we come a little bit more. They're constantly dragging us behind them. Because what we're doing is we're trying to compromise. Instead of just standing firm, this is what the Bible says. This is biblical truth. Instead, we're compromising. Just a little bit. It's just, it's, just, it's just a little error. It's not that bad. It's not anything that we're going to separate from. You've been hearing that quite often lately. We're not going to separate over the secondary issues. We're only going to separate over the main primary gospel issues. But here's the problem with that. There's a little bit, and then a little bit, and then a little bit. And then before you know it, it's this huge big pile um, there was a, there was a journalist, and I for, totally forget his name. I will try to link him in the information down here below. But he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, and he was also on the Dave Rubin podcast. And he was talking about the, the whole um, censorship within Twitter and how they keep thinking, oh, we're, we're doing these things to censor people, but we're doing it for the right reasons. We're, we're, and we know that we've made mistakes, but it's just a mistake. Here's, the, here's what he was saying. It's kind of like you have a grain of sand. Every mistake is a grain of sand, and that grain of sand drops, and then you have another one, another mistake, drop, another grain of sand, drop. How many mistakes is it before you have a pile, before you have a mountain, before you have a, before you have a Mount Everest? See, if you take 
these specific little grains of sand, these specific little mistakes, all by themselves, take it out of the bigger context, just by itself, you're like, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, so we disagree on illegal immigration. So we disagree on same-sex attraction within the church. So we disagree on X, Y, and Z. It's just one little thing. Why does that matter? But then you have this thing. You have this thing. You have this thing. You have this thing. And all of a sudden, you have a completely different Christianity than what God actually intended in Scripture. Now we're redefining sin. Sin's a pretty major part of the gospel. Right? So... So basically what we have is we have the Gospel Coalition founded by Tim Keller. And then you have all these guys that are on the board that are supposed to be the good guys. They're supposed to be the guys that are training the rest of the pastors to emulate them. They're the guys that are preaching at the Shepherds Conference, which was supposed to be the place where pastors could go and they know that they were going to get biblical teaching and biblical training on how to be a godly biblical pastor. But then you've got Al Mohler coming in. He's still preaching. He's still preaching at the Shepherds Conference. He's also over at the Gospel Coalition. Guess what? He repented for for claiming that um, that sexual orientation is a choice. He repented of that, and then now he believes that it is not a choice. That you're born with it. You've got Mark Dever that, f- at least for a period of time, endorsed Living Out, which is Sam Alberry's organization. Again, little grain of sand here, little grain of sand here. Here's a little bit of background information. The Gospel Coalition was originally going to have its West Coast Conference last year at Grace Community Church, John MacArthur's church. And guess who was going to be the keynote speaker? Pastor John MacArthur. Why? They know who's behind it. They know that Tim Keller is the founder. They know that they're promoting unbiblical doctrine. Yet everybody's looking the other way because it's a secondary issue. It's not a primary gospel. They're getting the gospel right by gospel. What they really refer to is Calvinism. When they refer to, you know, we agree on theology. What they're actually saying is that we agree on Calvinism. The rest of the things, those are the secondary things. The main thing is Calvinism. We hear that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again from these guys. They'll look the other way as long as you believe in the doctrines of grace and the doctrine of election. And we see that. And so the Gospel Coalition was going to have their conference at John MacArthur's church, at Grace Community Church. Before there started being some blowback, and then Grace Community Church decided, you know what, this isn't right. We're not going to do this. And I, and I commend them for making the right decision, but they should, but they should have known from the beginning. But they separate from them. But if you go back and you look at their Facebook page, and I'll, I'll I'm going to try to put in a clip here. You go back and look at their Facebook page. They commended the Gospel Coalition for doing great ministry. They commended them. And said that we're basically both sides, you know, while we um, were surprised at some of the speakers that were going to be coming in and some of the topics that were going to be discussed, we still are considered co-laborers and we commend you on your ministry over there at the Gospel Coalition. The Gospel Coalition, which is essentially the social justice gospel coalition. Nobody sees a problem with that? Again, 
grain of sand here, grain of sand here. Eventually, it becomes a pile. Then we come to the Shepherds Conference. Virtually all the speakers that were not directly working for Grace Community Church, Gospel Coalition. Virtually everyone. Nobody sees a problem with that? Now, one of, one of the arguments that was being made leading up to that decision was that there's all this conversation going on behind the scenes. We can't anathematize them. We can't kick them out. We can't defriend them. I mean, we've been doing ministry together for how many years? And we agree on theology. Code word, we agree on Calvinism. I'm, I'm saying this as a Calvinist myself. I believe in election. I believe in tulip. I'm a lordship salvation guy. I agree with them on, on theology. But they're wrong in their decision to support these guys with social justice. They bring in Al Mohler, Mark Dever, Lincoln Duncan, and they're looking the other way. Now, again, they kept saying, well, we're going to have these conversations. How can we have conversations if we, if we completely separate from them? Did any of you guys watch the Q&A session at the Shepherds Conference? Clearly, they were not having conversations. Clearly, they were not. That was one of the most awkward times on stage that I've virtually ever seen. And we saw a lot of hostility among guys that we thought were considered friends. Why is that? Because they're getting defensive. Because I think, and again, this is just my speculation. I don't know this for sure. But I think that a lot of those guys that were on stage were beginning to feel guilty. They began to feel convicted. And what do you do when you feel convicted? You have one of two things. You either repent or you get defensive. Repent or you get defensive. We saw those men up there on stage get defensive. Instead of just having an honest, open discussion about these issues. But here's the thing. Phil Johnson was asking the right questions. At least the right initial questions. Now what I was surprised at was how there were no specifics. And if you think about it, you look at the social justice statement that was signed, that was really what kind of spearheaded this whole thing. You see the social justice statement. There wasn't a whole lot of specifics. They were not clear about who they were talking about. They were not clear about the actual issues that are being discussed. And in future podcasts, we're going to jump into that. And I've got some projects that I'm talking to people in order to get this truth out there to the public, to define our terms, to draw the line in the sand. That's supposed to be the whole point of having a statement, is you're drawing a line in the sand and saying, this is biblical truth. We're not going to compromise on this. Unfortunately, that's not how things played out. So we get up to the, we get up to the Shepherds Conference Q&A. And I want to play a clip here. This is Al Mohler trying to defend his record on social justice. Check it out. And um, uh, let me start with you, Al, because uh, you've said something that I've thought of often. I think it's, it, it, it's a really good insight, and that is that uh, sort of the, the leftward drift, the liberalizing drift that affects not only politics but theology happens incrementally. But any reformation towards the right happens exponentially. Are, are you not 
concerned at all about the liberalizing drift of the social justice movement and all the rhetoric that goes along with that? I'm sure you are. Yeah, the only offense I take at that is that I talk about this five times a week for 25 minutes. Well, so, uh, let, me, let me give you my perspective on that, because uh -huh. you do... You, don't take offense, but you, I do listen to you every morning. You have opinions on everything in the news, but when it comes to... Uh, the evangelical movement and the social justice issue, particularly, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, what happens in the world of politics, but I'm talking about what happens among our constituents and the rhetoric that's going on in places like T4G and, and the Gospel Coalition. Uh, you have been remarkably silent. It's one of those issues where uh, I've only heard you speak on it in the ask anything it, sections when People ask you questions like I'm doing right now. And yeah, I think the pushback is, I think that's what my whole life is speaking about. I mean, I, I began, I mean, all my public ministry began dealing with these questions. So I do take a bit of offense, not personally, but I mean, I just, I, I am not going to be forced into uh, a Twitter conversation, 140 characters about these issues. Uh, I have been trying to lay out for 30 plus years an understanding of how evangelicals should engage the culture. And uh, I mean, I cut my teeth apologetically uh, confronting cultural Marxism and uh, I mean, the, the entire network of issues of the left. Uh, you look at who I invite to my campus, you look at who I cite, you look at who I uh, platform, uh, I feel pretty good about the message uh, that I'm sending there. Okay, did you hear that? What he said was that I will stand on my record of who I am platforming. Look at who I'm platforming. I stand by that. Let's look at who he's platforming. Dr. Russell Moore, he, like, if he's not the vice president of the social justice movement behind Tim Keller, I don't know who is. I mean, he is one of the most progressive people that I've ever seen within the church. Al Mueller is constantly constantly endorsing this guy and giving this guy credibility constantly they're practically best friends what about sam alberry over at the gospel coalition what about nate collins who came out of your seminary al moeller let's look at your record who are you platforming who are you partnering with let's look at that it's not a record of somebody who's opposing social justice. It's a record of somebody who is, at the very least, enabling it, let alone promoting it. Because here's the thing, if you know that social justice is compromising the gospel, then why aren't you separating from those who are compromising the gospel? This is what doesn't make any sense to me. We're gonna say that the social justice is compromising the gospel but that we don't explain how, we don't separate from those that are promoting it, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Is it a big issue or is it not a big issue? And here's the thing. I think that what's happening is that there's this inner turmoil going on between biblical truth and friendships. Now, I've been saying for the longest time that there's this thing called the good old boys club, which is this idea where as long as you are in the club, 
you get a pass. You get a pass. As long as you are friends, as long as you have a connection, as long as you agree on the doctrines of grace, you get a pass. We saw that with James White and his interfaith dialogue. Everybody was saying, I disagree, I disagree, but I'm not really going to do anything about it. We need to extend grace to him. Why? Because he believes in the doctrines of grace. Look at that fiasco that happened at the Judge Not Conference. He believes in election. He believes in the sovereignty of God. Throw my hands up in the air. I'm not doing anything. We saw that with that. We're seeing that now with social justice. Here's a clip of John MacArthur himself perfectly explaining and perfectly describing the good old boys club that I've been talking about for months, if not years. Take a listen. I don't think there's any difference theologically with where we all stand. And we've, we've navigated that together on every possible platform in every situation. Um, how, how we respond to the culture around us and the pressures that come on us from the culture, how we navigate those relationships that face us. Um, I get a lot of, um, and even with this uh, Shepherd's comments coming up, I got a lot of heat from people on the internet who I, I don't, somebody has to show it to me because I don't, I don't go there. Um, but that, that you were going to be here because you may, you may have expressed yourself differently uh, on the issue of social justice or, or whatever other issue it might have been. Um, that seems to be the, the buzz button anyway. And I said, look, um, these are my friends. These are men I love. These are, these are men who serve Christ. They've given their life to him. They... God has given each of you guys a formidable place in the kingdom, and you've all had an impact on my life. I'll fight error, but I don't fight my friends. Why would I do that? I don't want to become an island. I mean, what else is there to say? You're going to fight error, but you're not going to fight your friends because you don't want to be an island. You don't want to be alone. What? Is this the same John MacArthur that had Strange Fire? Is this the same John MacArthur that we all look up to? That that w took on the word of faith and the charismatics? And, and de clearly defined not only the error theologically, but the error amongst the specific people that he was addressing. We need that in the church. Why? Because we need to mark those that are bringing in false doctrines to protect the church. Now, the question is this, is your number one priority to protect the flock, to protect the church, or is your number one priority to keep peace amongst your friends, to get invited back to the big conferences? I mean, I don't know how else to interpret that. I'm going to fight error, but I'm not going to fight my friends. So I guess the difference between the word of faith and social justice, even though John MacArthur said that social justice is the greatest threat to the gospel in his lifetime, if that's true, then that would mean that social justice is a greater threat to the gospel than word of faith, right? But you're willing to separate, get this, over word of faith, 
and anybody who may have any connection to that, but you're not willing to separate from social justice, which you say is the greatest threat to the gospel of your lifetime? What's the difference between word of faith and social justice? Here it is. Here's the answer. Word of faith? They're not friends with John MacArthur. John MacArthur's not friends with word of faith preachers. But who is he friends with? Social justice warriors. Why? Because they're reformed. Because they're Calvinists. Because they've been speaking at the same conferences together and promoting Calvinism. So because they believe in Calvinism, they get a pass. This is the definition of the good old boys club. And instead of tackling this issue head on, instead of clearly defining truth and comparing what's being taught with scripture, and if need be, call people out. I mean, I don't even know, I don't even know what to say anymore. This is, this is not... This is not the church. This is not what's supposed to be happening in the church. John MacArthur was supposed to be the final stand against error. That's what everybody always looked up to him for, is that we knew everybody else would compromise, but John MacArthur, he was going to stand firm. He was going to be the one that defends the gospel no matter what. And then we see here that he didn't. He backed down. Why? Because this time... For probably the first time in his career that I can think of, the major theological error, the compromising of the gospel, was coming from his friends. And he wasn't willing to cross his friends to protect the gospel. Is that the example that the Apostle Paul set with Peter? I don't think so. I mean, Paul didn't sit there and have Peter compromised the gospel through some of the decisions that he was making. Paul didn't think, Peter's kind of like the head of the apostles. He's kind of the big wig. I mean, he actually ministered with Jesus. And you know what? We're co-laborers. Think about it. Peter, on the rock, on this rock, I will build my church. Peter, He's done so much for the gospel. He's preached the gospel everywhere. And so Paul was like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going conf- to confront him. He's my friend. I don't want to be all alone because you know what would have happened? I could imagine that if, that if that was happening, I could think Peter was like, you know what? If I cross Peter, I mean, Peter's in tight with the rest of the apostles. Think about it. Paul's the odd man out. He was the only one that wasn't there with Jesus. Peter could have easily turned around and said, hey, you know what, guys? Rest of the apostles, Paul, he crossed me. We're going to cut him out. He's going to be an island all by himself. That could have been a repercussion of Paul. That was the risk that Paul was taking when he went up against Peter. Think about it. That, that would probably more than likely happen if that was happening in today's church. But Paul cared more about truth than he did about friendships than he did about personalities, than he did about being invited back to speak. Think about Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, the same thing. Charles Spurgeon, when he was dealing with the downgrade, his first thought was not, I don't want to be an island. 
I don't want to be all by myself. I mean, these guys, they've all been they've all been pastors for many years. I mean, I don't want to rock the boat. No, he took them on. He got kicked out. He was an island. His own brother, if I remember correctly, voted against him. Think about it. These great men of the faith, they took a stand when there was great risk. Why? Because they valued the gospel and they valued, and they valued biblical truth more than they did their friends. But we're not seeing that today. Why are we not seeing that today? These men are supposed to be our examples. They're supposed to be setting the tone for the rest of the church. And instead, they're completely undermining everything that they've been preaching on the social justice. They completely, with that Shepherds Conference Q&A session, when John MacArthur said, I'm going to choose my friends over truth, what he did is he completely undermined the social justice statement and invalidated it for him and his followers. Because there was a line that was drawn in the sand, and then it was crossed. And instead of there being repercussions, i.e., sorry, you, you can't speak at my conference. We may still be friends, but you can't speak at my conference until we get this figured out. They crossed the line in the sand, and the MacArthur's like, I'm not going to fight you. Now, why is this so important? Why do we need to understand the, why do we need to understand why this is so dangerous for the church? Because this is compromising the gospel. This is infiltrating almost every church in America. Why? Because these big name celebrity pastors that everybody idolizes and everybody looks up to are preaching it and teaching it at all the conferences and all the seminaries and all the colleges and in all the curriculum. This is happening. It's coming, to, it's coming for you. It's coming for your church. I mean, are we going to take it lying down? Are we going to stand up? Are we going to push back? Are we going to define biblical truth? And so what I kind of wanted to do for the rest of the show is I kind of wanted to quickly run through some of the issues that are being compromised. And like I was saying before, think about this like, like little grains of sand or pebbles, or whatever it is, whatever kind of visual you can have in your mind. One little thing by itself, you could think, it's not that big of a deal. But when you, when you start adding everything together, it becomes a serious issue. It becomes an entire pile, it becomes an entire hill, it becomes an entire mountain, because it's all coming together. You take one little grain, it's not that big a deal. You take a million pieces of grain, you throw it all together, that's a serious thing that we got to deal with. That's what, that we're, that's what we're dealing with right now with social justice and Marxism right now infiltrating the church. But the one thing that we also need to remember is that this started in the political realm. This started with the progressives. This started with the liberals. Why? Why is this happening? A lot of this comes down to your eschatology. If you understand... What's coming in the book of Revelation? What's coming in the future? Is that the Antichrist is going to be setting up his kingdom for seven years. One world religion, one world government, one world currency. He's going to be the ruler. He's essentially going to set himself up as the Messiah. So think about this. This is why when you hear people talking about globalism, 
Don't just tune them out. Don't just tune them out as conspiracy theorists. Take a serious hard look at this because what they're doing is they're trying to implement this stuff into society, into education, into entertainment, and then also into the church because this is fulfilling their goal. Now you look at history and I believe that you have all of the major empires, whether it's Babylonian or the Greeks or the British Empire or Nazi Germany or whatever it is. And what they, what they were doing is they were trying to conquer the world. They were trying to establish one world government, one world currency, one world religion, whatever it is. We saw many attempts at this in world history. But every single time God said, you know what? It's not time. Take a step back reset and then they try again and this is just satan trying to establish his earthly kingdom but now instead of instead of them trying to have a nation that's going to try to conquer the entire world what they're doing is they're trying to bring all the nations together into one it's a different strategy now and we're seeing this right now with this social justice movement they're trying to lay the groundwork for a borderless society with one currency be reliant on the government have the government be over the entire world say that all religions are the same hence one world religion what they're trying to do is they're trying to establish the the one world religion one world government one world currency that we see in revelation because this is their one chance to try to take over the world. And they think, Satan thinks that he can conquer God. Satan thinks that he can outsmart God. This is, that's been his strategy, his entire being in existence. But we know that that's not going to happen. But that doesn't mean that we get a rollover because we know that God is in control. We know that God's in control, but he also uses people to take stands. He uses people to preach the truth. So we need to stand up and we need to preach the truth against these sinful issues. Because what these are doing is they are they're taking biblical principles, twisting them just a little bit, and then repurposing them for their own purposes. I mean, you, you, you could just go down the list. I mean, look at illegal immigration, right? It's a controversial issue. What the left is wanting is they are wanting a borderless society. They want open borders so that way people can come and go because it's wrong to keep people out. It's wrong to separate. And so what they're, and so what they're trying to do right now in the church is what they're saying is that if we're loving to people in these third world countries, we need to allow them in. But what are they really trying to do? What they're trying to do is they're trying to set this up to where there are no more borders, thus there are no more countries. And the thing is, is that Brandon uses this term, useful idiot. Brandon Howes uses this term, useful idiot. And what he means by it is that you have these Christian leaders and just people in general that are supporting something because they believe that it's sympathetic. They believe that it's the right thing to do. But they don't realize that they're being used unknowingly to accomplish sinister ideals and the sinister accomplishments that's what's happening here with a lot of these issues look at illegal immigration you have a lot of christians that do want a border that do want clearly defined this is how you enter our country 
and you can't enter it any other way. What's the biblical principle on that? I mean, the Bible talks about, you know, we need to be loving to people, that we need to be hospitable to people who are entering our country, you know, X, Y, and Z. But a country still has the right to, to decide who gets in and who, who can't get in, just like God has the right to say who gets into heaven and who doesn't get into heaven. This is a parallel. This could, this could be considered a parable. This could be, this is an example a reflection of a biblical truth. Borders are important because it teaches us that just as in salvation, you either get into heaven or you don't. God's the one that makes the rules. You and I don't get to make the rules. God's the one that gets to decide how you get into heaven. It's by believing in the gospels, by believing in Jesus Christ. So this is a kind of this is an attack indirectly even on the gospel just on that one issue alone. So that's important for us to understand. Then let's take a look at income equality. What they're trying to say is they're like people that are really wealthy and really and really rich they don't they don't need all that money. I mean, you look at all the poor people. But here's the problem with that kind of thinking. Number 1, in the Bible it does not say anywhere that having money is, is sinful. If you go out and you're smart, you have a business, you run it, you build it, you create income, that's the fruit of your labor. I'm, let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 8 through 20. Behold, or sorry, excuse me, 18 through 20. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the, f the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept this lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. Think about it. The Bible, the Bible says that enjoying the wealth that you've created is a gift from God. You are not evil if you have money. Now here's the other side of it. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 deals with the other side of the spectrum. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command... If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Working is a punishment for sin. Go back and look in the book of Genesis. Us toiling and us having to work in order to supply our needs was a punishment for our sin and us not relying on God. Adam and Eve, they, they could do whatever they want in the Garden of Eden. God provided everything that they needed. They had all the food that they wanted. They had everything that they wanted. The only thing that they couldn't do is eat from, the, from one single tree. And they disobeyed. Because of that, they chose not to rely on God. They chose to rely on their own selves. And the punishment for that was that now we have to go out and we have to work. We have to earn a living. We have to earn our way and work extremely hard in order to earn income to eat, to provide for our families. 
That was punishment for sin. And if people refuse to accept that punishment for sin, what they're saying is like, look, I don't care. I don't, I don't care that I, that I have to work. Somebody else will take care of me. But the thing is, is that somebody else isn't supposed to take care of you if you, if you refuse to work. Why? Because we sinned. We broke God's command. Think about it. God commands us to work. So we work. If you don't work, you don't eat. Now, if you can't work, that's when your friends and family and church step in and take care of you. But income inequality, somebody who earns a lot of money versus somebody who earns a little bit of money, that in and that disparate this that uh, discrepancy right there is not in and of itself sinful. And we need to understand that it's not wrong that the rich are getting richer. It's because they're being smart. You could get rich too. You could build a company. You could be smart with your money. You could start start and build and be entrepreneurial and create your own income. But here's the thing. It it takes risk. If you don't take risk, you'll never be able to create that kind of income. If you're just going to work your 9 to 5 job for a salary or hourly wage, you're never going to get up there. The people that are up here, they took a risk. A lot of them, a lot of people that are way up here at the top were homeless for a certain while while they were building. They had no income. They had to borrow money. They had to sleep on their parents' couches. They had to do all that sort of stuff. They took risk. A lot of them failed before they finally got to the place where they're at right now that made them successful. God says that it's a blessing when you achieve wealth. Not that we should all desire it. Not that we should all want it. But income inequality is not anything that is considered sinful. Now, what you do with your money is a whole other thing. You should be helping people. You should be doing what you can to help people in your church. But it's not the government's responsibility to to take your money and give to somebody else who's too lazy to actually do something. We need to go back to the place where your local community, your family, your friends, and your church are the ones that are stepping in and and fulfilling the needs. But see, here's the thing. It does not fit with the globalist agenda. The globalist agenda, again, is to establish the one world government. How do they do that? They create enough problems so that way everybody has to rely on the government for their food. Think about it. You have to, you, in order for you to receive food during the, during the tribulation, you have, to take, you have to take the mark of the beast. How are they going to do that if everybody's entrepreneurial? They can't. They need everybody to be reliant on the government. So that's why, that's why they're trying to do this. And these Christian leaders that are going along with this, what they're doing is they're being useful idiots and being used for sinister purposes. And the thing is that they should know better. They went to seminary. They learned eschatology. They learned end times theology. They learned just theology in general. They learned what the Bible said. And they still don't get it. They're still being used. They're being duped. They should know better. The other side of things when it comes to social justice is that, is that what's happening is that the, the strategy that's being used is, is to divide and conquer. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to find different ways, different attack points 
by causing division, create chaos, and then they can come in and with the solution, which is tip, which is typically almost always going more left. So you, you create a problem, you create a, a division, you split people up, and then you provide the solution. The solution is almost always going a little bit more to the left, a little bit more to the left, a little bit more to the left. Right now, one of the things that we're dealing with right now is race. And we're making a big deal about these levels of, of oppression based on the color of your skin, based on your gender, based on certain other, certain other circumstances around your life. And so there's this kind of hierarchy. So somebody like me, who is a white Christian male, is all the way down here at the bottom. All the way up up here at the top, you'd have you would have somebody who is going to be a progressive, uh, you know, homosexual uh, person of color, and you know whatever it is. So so you have you have this range, and it all comes down in this in this order, right? If they can do that, then they can separate us. They can separate us on race. The white people are oppressing the black people. The white people are oppressing the Latino people. Then they can separate based on gender. Males are oppressing the females. They can separate based on income. The rich are oppressing the poor. They can do it based on religion. The Christians and the Jews are oppressing the Muslims. Look at almost every single issue, almost every single division that we see is separate, divide, and conquer. Capitalists are oppressing the socialists. Conservatives are oppressing the liberals. I mean, the list just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. Why are they doing this? Because they want us to realize that we are nothing. They see Christians, they see Europeans representing Christianity, and they want to destroy Christianity. And these pastors that are going along with this and promoting this kind of ideology are useful idiots that are being used to tear down Christianity, and they don't even realize, even though they should. And to a certain degree, I actually kind of think that some of them do realize it. But they're so compromised that they're not willing to change. Think about the repercussions of this. Think about the long-term goals of the people that are actually running things. Think about, think about what's going to happen if all of this actually gets implemented. This is establishing the this is establishing the pathway for the antichrist to come and set up his kingdom. So what are we going to do about it? What are you and I, people who actually believe in what the Bible teaches, who see the problem with what's happening, what are you and I going to do about it? Step up. Push back. How do we do this? By not backing down. By clearly defining this is biblical truth. Separating from error. If that means that you lose friends, 
then you lose friends. I'm not saying to go out and be a jerk. I'm not saying to intentionally just kick people out of your life. But if the repercussion for you taking a stand for truth is you lose friends, then you lose friends. I mean, if you look at Elijah, he didn't care about being alone. I mean, sure, it was depressing. Sure, it was tough. But God was always there for him. And God clearly honored his faithfulness to him because he chose truth and he chose God over friends. Why aren't we doing that in the church? Why do we care so much about our friends and the, and the conferences that we're going to be invited to? Why do we care so much about that? Maybe, just maybe, it's because we value other things more than we value truth. It's because we value things like money and fame and positions of power and titles more than we do God. Are we going to repent of that? I mean, clearly you can tell by what's happened with me. I, I'm not going for any of that kind of stuff. I'm sticking to my guns. I'm sticking to the truth. So then the question is, are you? Are you going to stick to the truth? Are you going to take a stand and clearly define biblical truth? Because here's the thing. All of us that are Christians, I don't care what skin color you are. I don't care what culture you come from. I don't care what background you come from. I don't care what kind of income you make. We're all one in Christ. Galatians 3 verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all one. We're one body in Christ. We can't allow people to divide us. Because all they're going to do, if we allow that to happen, is they're going to conquer us. And this all comes back to the gospel. Because what's happening now is they're redefining sin. Sin now has to do with oppression. Sin now has to do with hierarchy. Sin no longer has to do with keeping and breaking commandments. And that's the problem. Sin is a major part of the gospel. If you get sin wrong, you get the gospel wrong. What do, we need, what do we need to repent of? Do I need to be repentant of being a white male who is a Christian? No. I need to be repentant of sins and, and commands that I've broken that God has laid out in his word. We can't allow them to redefine sin because it redefines the gospel. And it redefines what Christ is saving us from. Is Christ saving us from oppression? Or are we actually going to be more oppressed because we're Christians? The Bible clearly teaches it's, it's the latter. And that we have to choose wisely. We, are, we, are we up for the task? I am. I hope you are too. Think about this. Decide, is this a battle that you're willing to fight? Are you willing to take a stand? Are you willing to join us? And come along for the ride. It's going to be a wild ride. But 
it's a very important one. It'll be difficult, but the reward is great. I really hope that you come along for the ride. So, in closing, any information you need, go to gatekeepersonline.com. Create an account there. Join in our community that we're creating. You can interact with people. You can follow me on, on there. You can follow any of the other contributors that are there on our website. Follow us on social media. If you have any questions, you can email me, gatekeepersonline at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at JeffTheGK. Follow the Gatekeepers or the GK Podcast Network. It's at the GK Online. Interact. Share share the articles. If, if you feel like something is going to help is going to help proclaim the truth, share it with people. Tell people about it. And don't just do that with with me. Don't just do that with the GK. Do that with anybody. Sharing things on social media gets information out there. I don't care where it's coming from. If it's truth, get that information out to as many people as possible. Because right now, we're at that time where we need people that are educated. We need people to understand truth. We need people to understand what is actually going on. And we need to get the gospel right. We need to get the gospel out there. We need to proclaim the gospel wherever we can. Any way that we can help you do that, you tell me and we'll figure it out. I really hope you guys are coming along for the ride. Stay in God's word. Keep praying. And we'll see you guys next week.